Hi, I'm Patrick Pond, CEO and founder of Fabro, and this is the Learn From Leaders podcast. The background to this show is that Fabro customers are some of the most innovative companies in the world. Enterprises wanting to be more agile, software as a service companies scaling fast, and game developers and publishers wanting to master live ops. So we get to know some truly inspiring leaders in product development, marketing, operations, sales, executive management. And what we do here is that we interview them about leadership so we can all learn from them. Let's go. Are live with um, with Zoe and Kevin. Uh, welcome to the show. Great. Hi. Hi, everyone. Hi, Kevin. Hi, Zoe. Patrick. This is a this is a very very special edition because um, we we are on season three now of the podcast. You know, you know, learn from leaders, and we were looking at um, which were the podcasts that were most popular, and you were two of the most popular uh, episodes that we had. And at uh, the Dice Conference in Vegas uh, this year, um, I, I don't think you met, had actually met before. So I think I think I was actually had a chance of introducing each other, right? Yeah. Yeah, we were having our, our epic lunch, I think, uh, Patrick. And then Kevin walked by and we were both like, wait, I know who you are. I'm super happy that, that uh, you know, um, you know, the podcast had, had reached a level now that we were escalating to this level. So, so I'm super excited about today. You know, what we're going to talk about is, the, you know, the future management in the game industry. And, and uh, you know, both um, the interviews I had, uh, the interview I had with both of you kind of focused on this, but from different aspects. And uh, today um, we'll seem to talk about what's, you know, what's the challenges that we need to adapt to. And um, uh, what does this mean, you know, for an organization, for culture, how you're recruiting? But then I would also, you know, later, um, and this will be kind of like part two of this conversation, going into what does it mean as as a leader? You know, uh, how as you know, if 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 you as a person, you know, and and anyone listening who is a leader today or an aspiring leader, uh, what does it mean? Um, so that will be kind of part two of the conversation. But before we get into that, um, for the ones who doesn't know you, we need to get a little bit of the backstory. So leading up to what you're doing today, uh, maybe we start with you. Sorry. Yeah, uh, my you know my route is interesting. I think it's pretty typical for people who have been in the industry a bit longer. But I didn't go to school for games. Uh, it wasn't really a thing when I was going to school. Uh, I thought I was going to be an artist, a photographer, or uh, perhaps an art curator. So going to, went to school for art history and fine arts. Um, but it all kind of makes sense to me because I really connected with creative people. That was kind of my world. My father was an artist. He's a painter. He's quite actually a well-known Canadian um, painter. So I grew up in a very creative, collaborative, kind of crazy world of creative, inspiring people. And so when I found game developers, I was like, oh, these are my people. Like the the creative mixed with the technology. I just, it was so exciting to me. Um and then honestly, just I met someone who worked in the industry um, and he said, you know, you'd be a really good producer because you you love uh, working with people. And in our career can sometimes be very solo. And I suspect that maybe it's not, you know, not totally inspiring you. And he was right. And so um, I had an opportunity to work at just amazing actually through the art world, uh, helping people create multimedia and game projects uh, who were fine artists. And that really you know, peaked me into that little world of technology and creativity. And then after that, I got my first job in games. And that's kind of, you know, how it all started. And uh, yeah, that first day at my very first game studio, I was at Backbone Entertainment up in Vancouver. And it was just so exciting. 
Um, and this year is my 20th anniversary of being a producer. So it's kind of neat. <laughs> so you're making a bit of a jump there from getting started yeah. to a 20th anniversary. Okay. You need to you need to do like the super short version of like, okay, what were some of the highlights on that? I mean, which which games are you most which games are you most proud of that you were part of producing? That's a great question. Um, I think ooh, there was some some early on ones there that were canceled. So uh, sadly, we worked on a really exciting project. I worked at Pandemic Australia, so it's also allowed me to move all over the world. Um, we were working on a not so secret game of a very famous comic IP that got canceled after two years. And it was such a cool game. It was open world. It was based on a very well-known movie. It was great. Uh, I wish that it came out, but I'm very proud of what we did in the two years I was there. Um, but I think my biggest pride and joy is, is Gears 4 and Gears 5 um, and probably Gears of War 5. So I was at the coalition for almost eight years and was a production director on the campaign there. And, uh, you know, in Gears 5, we turned Gears of War to have a female protagonist you know, driven by our studio director abroad. And so being able to be a part of that and and really um, push that gear story forward with a, with a woman at the front of it was super exciting to me and a, and a really diverse cast, which Gears has actually always had. But um, seeing that come to life and the accessibility features we got in the game, we won awards for that, was just super exciting and I think a bit of a feather in my cap. Yeah, I'm really proud of that game. Absolutely. And then, of course, I'm proud of what we've created at Timber, uh, where I'm now the studio director. And so uh, creating that 18 months ago is, uh, you know, um, yeah, probably it's my baby now. So <laughs> I'm growing my baby. You're doing some very, very cool stuff there, you know. And, and um, you know, as, uh, as like a segue here to you, Kevin, um, are there are any, you know, kind of things in what, you know, what Zoe said that uh, you feel like, okay, here's here's a bit of a similarity with, with you know, my story or... Is your story very different? Um, I think mine's fairly different in that, um, like, I always wanted to make games. I kind of knew this as a young kid. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, you know, eight or nine, it just kind of clicked in my head, like, hey, people make video games. I can be one of those people. I never had that realization. I don't, I played them, but I didn't go, people make those games, I can do that. <laughs> That's really interesting. Yeah, and so it was just a thing. But like Zoe, you, you know, Going to school for game development wasn't a thing. Um, you know, I told my mom I wanted to make video games. And she was supportive in the sense that, you know, she didn't tell me no, but she always told me to have a backup plan. Um, I never had a backup plan. <laughs> um, and so I I taught myself to program because I knew I wasn't going to be an artist. Um, and then in high school, uh, my best friend and I, we made a bunch of small games and I kind of brought that with me into college and uh ended up getting an internship at ea uh it was actually a design internship i was working on uh maps for a character action game that got canceled um but in the middle of the uh internship so i guess kind of similar to zoe someone came by and said hey you i think you'd make a good producer and I, my response was what is a producer <laughs> um and so i kind of got the the rundown on that and shifted my internship and then kind of that was that was it i've just kind of took to it and been producing ever since and i think i think you have to say a little bit about uh you know what you're doing right now because not only is it some very cool stuff you're doing but you also got a ton of recognition for that uh this year or at least uh you know you you know the studio yeah the studio yeah so i'm yeah I'm the director of development at double fine and you know psychonauts 2 was an amazing journey uh which you can i'm gonna 
plug the documentary if you haven't seen it. I highly recommend it. Um, the The team there did a the, the team did a fantastic job making the game, and the uh, two player productions did a amazing job with the documentary. Um, and yeah, that was really cool to be able to create and put out in the world and see people enjoy it and win awards and all that good stuff. But I think for me, the most rewarding part of it was just being able to help that team create such a wonderful experience right and it's so heartfelt like you can just you can see and feel how much people kind of just put themselves into it um and just being able to enable that is the rewarding part of the job for me and and also you know your boss got a lot of nice recognition this year at the, the dice conference right uh yeah tandy's you know he's he's a known person <laughs> <laughs> i mean well, well deserved <laughs> well well deserved i'm definitely super happy to but been able to see him, you know, reach that milestone and be there to share it with him. I mean, before we move on, I want to ask you something about uh, the documentary that you you kind of named, um, because I I am um, you know almost everything I do is with games in one way or the other, uh, but I double like a little bit in film, and and I I really like these kind of you know behind the scenes documentaries, especially with everything Star Wars, you know, the Star Wars gallery, you know, everything, you know, like, how did they make this episode? I, I, I almost enjoy those more than the actual episodes. And, uh, but but you you did this documentary and you opened up. I mean, how did that feel from from your point of view? I mean, it was very naked. Uh, yeah, and I think that's what makes it really great is that, you know, we're not really putting a filter on things. Obviously, we can't show everything, everything, but we do want to give as close to that one-to-one view as we can um you know i will admit when i first started at double fine you know the cameras are there and you see them all the time (laughs) um but then after a couple months they kind of stopped being there and you know yep there's someone in the corner recording what you're doing but you you're just doing what you're doing um and then you know when the pandemic hit it just kind of switched to now there's an extra zoom box in the meeting um you know, so, uh, yeah, it's just, just the way we do things. And uh, I think it's great that we get to share that with the community. That's super cool. So um, let's let's go a little bit into the, the topic of today, you know, um, you know, um, you know, uh, you know, you know, management, you know, in the future, in the game industry. I mean, there's like so many different conversations we can unpack from this. But the way I would like to structure it like a little bit today is that maybe first we can talk a bit about I mean, what is what is changing right now in the industry? For example, you know, live games. How is that changing? You know, management of a studio. Uh, how is it changing culture? Um, how is it changing recruitment? I mean, the more organizational things. And then, you know, when we talked a bit about that, I mean, we do a little switch and we get into, you know, part two of this conversation and we talk about this from more of an individual point of view. What does it mean for you know you as leaders and? for leaders that are listening right now and for leaders that are, well, people that are aspiring to be leaders listening right now. So uh, maybe we start in the end of, you know, what do you think are the most impactful uh, challenges that are are changing how things need to be done if you want to do it efficiently? Uh, who wants to go first? Um, I'll jump in. Sure, Kim's been talking for a bit, so give him a little break. Um, I think... You know, I think we're just living in that post-COVID world. And I, I think the world, not just the world of work, but the world is different now. And people's expectations of you as a leader and expectations of work are different. They're really different. And I think things were already changing before that. Um, but now it feels like maybe 
I don't know if it's just in games, but in general, people have almost like come into their power and gone, no, I don't want that. And they're pretty open to saying it. Whereas maybe, you know, it wasn't so comfortable before. But, uh, you know, certainly what I'm hearing in the industry is when people are mandating people back to work, people are going, no, I'm going to go somewhere else. And there's a job there. Because, yes, there's been layoffs, but a ton of studios are hiring too. And so, you know, any one person probably has three or four job opportunities they can slide into if the environment they're in isn't great. And, you know, I think for us, it's like we've got to create those environments because you can't just recruit people on salary. You can't just recruit people on the games you're making. You've got to have some sort of value proposition that's more than work. Um, and I think that's a big change. And I uh, think it's a bit of a struggle for some old school leaders. Uh, you know, it's a little, some of that little bit of like, oh, I'm going to complain about those whiny millennials and Gen Zers. But, uh, you know, it's it's um, it's not just that generation. It, it's everybody. I don't know what you think about that. <laughs> cool. Yeah, Kevin. Yeah, no, I mean, I completely agree. It's a thing that, you know, fortunately, you know, I feel like we were able to recognize and kind of embrace and, um, you know, for us, we definitely put a big focus on, uh, retention because to your point, Zoe, it's, you know, the dynamics around that are a lot different now. And yeah, when people feel like they have more food, cause they do really have more freedom now, you know, it is when you really have to think about, okay, why do people want to be here? What, what brings them in every day? And then, yeah, with recruiting, you know, how are you? Uh, you know, what are you offering to this person? Because to get look, to your point, you could have two or three other offers. Um, and, you know, it isn't just salary. It isn't just uh, the games. It is, uh, it, it, you have to think about it though, a lot more holistically in terms of what your organization brings uh, to someone um, and, you know, what you're trying to offer that person to have them be a part of your team. So, you know, I would love to jump into talking about kind of organizational, you know, setup and culture, but I actually have to throw in another question in between, you know, taking what you both said, um, you know, talking, because you have to remember that at this time right now, talking about like, there's a huge demand, people can just leave. Um, you know, there's also a lot of people that are seeing a lot of struggle right now, you know, it's like, there's no venture funding, you know, the market is bad, so forth. Um, I mean, from from um, from not like an investment point of view in games, um, I definitely see. I think what you're seeing that there's a lot of new studios being formed with money, well, you know, very fresh money from uh, from newly formed uh, VCs. But um, I mean, hey, you know, I'm out of Europe. You know, you're US. Um, can you just give like a like a short perspective on how you actually see your competition, not from like you know, maybe top down, but like bottom up, you know, like, you know, the ones like coming there and nibbing or trying to get your best talent because both of you, are, I mean, you both have a great reputation for uh, recruiting the, the best talent, but someone obviously, I mean, not someone, everyone who <laughs> wants to come and take your talent. I thought we were going to hand it to you, Kevin, to go first. I'm curious what you're going to say. <laughs> yeah, well, again, like I said, it, it was a thing where, we just made a really big focus on retention and basically, you know, just knowing your people, understanding, you know, what they want and, you know, being really receptive to that and understanding how your organization needs to change in order to adapt to that. Because, um, it's, it's 
bottom up, not just in terms of like competitors coming, but even just like within the company now, right? Like that dynamic has shifted some. Um, and so thinking about it more as uh, like a partnership with your employees uh, has helped us, you know, really kind of, you know, strengthen what we've been able to offer. Oh, yeah. I love what you just said. The partnership. Oh, I'm going to steal that. <laughs> I'll give you full credit. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, you know, I think that's a great perspective. And um, that sparked me to think about something that we've really leaned into at Timbers being really ultra transparent as a leadership team. And uh, sometimes that can feel destabilizing for people because they're not used to hearing the things that we share with our team. But we kind of, we say to everyone, hey, we we start with trust with you. We trust you from day one. You don't, you don't have to prove to us that you should be here. You did that in the interview. We trust you. Um, but it means we're going to share things with you that you may have never heard. Um, we share our milestone feedback from our publishing partner verbatim with the team. We don't edit it down. We don't put nice words in it. If it's harsh, we share it openly. Um, and a lot of them have never seen that before. Um, so some people were like, oof, oof, that's a little, that's a little hard to see. But um, that transparency comes with a lot of, um, you know, expectation from us as leaders that we are sharing and, t- and talking. But then it also asks for a little bit of maturity from the team, too, that when we do share things, of course, it's not shared outside the company, but that they don't let it, you know, destabilize them in their day to day. And they get a little more used to it, a little more resilient of being like, OK, I understand the business now. I understand that looking for an office is really challenging. We've been looking for a year. It's been really hard. Some people really want us to have an office in Vancouver, in Canada, where we are. Um, it's taken a year to find it. But we keep sharing and saying, this is what's happening. We hope to have one by the state. Oh, that one fell through because of this. But I think a lot of people haven't heard those things. Or, um, you know, if we don't pass a milestone, we, we talk about it very openly and why and, and what happened and how we're going to fix it. And I think you need to have those conversations and you need to um, assume the partnership. It's like what you described, Kevin. You have to uh, assume the partnership's going to be there and know that you're going to have little blips along the way that are going to be challenging. Just keep talking about it. Yeah. So, so, so how far can you go? I mean, is there like no limit to this transparency, or, or is there no? Because I'm, you know, I, I, I throw in a few cons, throw in a few concepts. I mean, I'm gonna, I'm gonna challenge you a little bit here. So, for, for example, I mean, you know, some companies do open salary. You know, everyone knows everyone's salary. For example, and and that is typically harder when you are within a corporate structure, which both of you are. Um, uh, so my first question is, are you able to do that? Uh, secondly, uh, if you do things like, I mean, how much of financials can you can you share? I mean, you said okay, you can be brutally transparent about you know feedback, but can you also be transparent about what this means? You know, for more financial terms, you know, maybe maybe if I just continue with you, sorry, and we switch over to you, Kevin, on the same question. Yeah, we um we've been talking about that uh, the financial side. Um, I will say, actually, when I was at the coalition, they actually shared quite a bit, and actually Xbox shared quite a bit um, with the larger team uh, from certain levels and up, but quite transparent, actually, and I, I really appreciated that. So we've been talking about it. We haven't done it yet, uh, but we've been talking about how to do that, how to do it in a way that is also educational. So a little bit of education first and then sharing, because um, you always need some groundwork. Because if you just share without any teaching, it can be like, I don't understand at all why you're sharing this with me. So it's a big part of it. Um, individual pay transparency, no, we don't do that. Um, but but uh, BC, so British Columbia, where we are in Canada, is implementing 
the law that you have to put pay scales on job description. That's coming for us um, soon. I think uh, Washington just did that. And I don't know if California has done it yet, but I know it's coming, right, Kevin? Uh, we, it's out this year for California. Is it out? Yeah. So I don't know some companies are getting around it by just having like $200,000 pay scales, which I think is hilarious. It's like, oh, you did the law, but you're not really telling people. So, um, but we're going to have to do some education around it before we share that info. And what we're, we're prepping for it right now, um, our director of people and belonging, um, Lori Corquera is is coming in and kind of challenging us with some of those things and going like, well, how do we do this? How do we do this in a way that that is inclusive and but people understand why we're sharing this info? But you have to do a lot of homework before you do it. So right now, no, we aren't sharing those things, but we're talking about it, talking about how to do it. Um, but I think for us right now, the transparency is just around the why of why things are happening so that everyone has that information and, and can go forward in their day-to-day -day without guessing at, at stuff. It's kind of the goal. Cool. Uh, Kevin? Uh, yeah. So like Zoe mentioned, so California does have a law already that you have to publish the pay scales of any job description. And then the second part of that is actually uh, any employee can ask for what the pay range of their job is and the employer has to provide that. Um, we were actually able to get ahead of that, um, in that last year we developed, uh, pay bands for across the company. And then we published that internally. So everybody could see what the pay range for every position in the company was. Um, and that was a really big step. Um, it, it was a thing that we definitely had some concerns with when we were going to do it. And, you know, obviously it's a type of thing where when you present that to people and it's something they haven't seen before. And so there's a whole lot of, uh, follow-up that you have to do around that. But at the end of the day, it was well worth it. People really, really appreciated having that level of transparency and understanding that, Hey, yeah, we, we are willing to have these conversations, um, and not, you know, in a way that we, chose to do as opposed to being forced to do by a law or something like that. Uh, so people really appreciated that. And in terms of other aspects of the financials, you know, um, Xbox does share quite a bit with us and, uh, you know, we share, uh, with the team as well. Um, but you know, you can't do everything, everything. And, and in some cases it just doesn't, they're just things that don't make as much sense to share. Like, you know, on, one hand, you know, there are some game pass numbers that are, uh, important to know from an organizational standpoint, but not necessarily like the the game teams don't necessarily need to understand, uh, those numbers as well. So kind of, you know, like to Zoe's point that, you know, having the education alongside it so that people can make sense of what you're presenting to them, uh, I think is key. Um, and you know, it, it's an ongoing conversation in terms of, you know, what people are interested in hearing from us. Um, and then us being able to provide that. Okay, so I'm I'm gonna make life tough tough for you now, uh, because now you've been talking about all the all the benefits, right? <laughs> so, um, have you ever had a situation, and I'm gonna start with you, Kevin, where uh, there's been a leak on something like so? You know, you had something where you went quite far in transparency. I, I thought it was interesting, you know, with the game pass numbers you mentioned, but I can imagine a lot of similar kind of metrics. Um, where, you know, you chose to be very transparent uh, with the team. Um, you know, maybe, you know, someone gets let's go, is very angry, 
you know, leaks or maybe leaks from the inside. I mean, leaking and whatever reason, right? Uh, and and now it has some like, corporate consequences, and you have to handle it. I mean, have have you had any situation like that? Is it not that I can think of offhand? Uh, to be honest, um, you know, people do under people understand that, you know, with the transparency comes the trust, right? And if 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 we can't trust that. Uh, this information is going to stay in the circles that needs to stay in, then we have to, then we have to dial back the transparency. Um, and that's not something we want to do. And that's not something that our teams want us to do. So, um, yeah, so far there hasn't been anything that's prompted us to have to change our approach to things. And, and, you know, again, I'm going to make it even harder for you now, Kevin. Okay. So let's, let's, let's imagine that it happens on Monday. Um, and, and, and I guess from your point of view, you, you, you don't want this to have an effect that, you know, you have to pull back trust. Um, you know, what would, you know, as a leader, what would be your action plan to, to handle this kind of crisis? Well, I think the, the first thing you have to do is, you know, assess the, uh, external impact, right. And make sure that you're being able to handle the messaging that you need to outside of the studio and then internally. Uh, then that becomes a series of conversations, obviously, with, you know, if we, if you know where the leak has come from, you know, you've got to investigate that. You've got to figure out where that is. And uh, hopefully it's wasn't anything malicious. And so then it's just, you know, about edu educating somebody about, you know, what is and, and not appropriate to share and uh, you know, what you talk to people about and what you don't talk to people about. Um it's kind of hard to think about it in a hypothetical situation, but I mean, I, I, I would say though my general mentality around it would be that, you know, I don't want it to create a panic for people. Um, and that, you know, assuming that it's not anything malicious, that there is, you know, there's a learning opportunity there and let's make sure that people understand, uh, what that learning should be so that it's something we avoid in the future. And before you know, jumping to you, sorry, on the on the same question, you know, I'm I'm just going to elaborate a little bit. You know, why ask the question? Because typically, what I've what I've seen over you know many years working with companies and how they organize is that typically, uh, what happens is that you know in the beginning, you know, you're very entrepreneurial, you know, very flat organization, there's low trust, and then you know something goes wrong, and then there's like a process put in for that to not go wrong again. Okay. And then you become like a little bit bigger, a little bit bigger. Okay, n now something goes wrong. Okay, there's a process put into place to make sure this doesn't go wrong again. And then, you know, you end up with like a safety box where no one can move and it's super bureaucratic and then they lose their talent and they go to both of your companies. That's a great But that's just a cycle of how things work you know, in this industry. And then, you know, we have, you know, one of the big publishers or all of the big publishers, then they come to, you know, a company like us and say, hey, we need to disrupt ourselves. You know, we need to be more entrepreneurial again. Help us be more agile. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's like, <laughs> how do we do that? It's like, you know, and the circuit goes around and around, right? Yeah. Uh, so, 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 you know, I mean, you know, you're also, you know, you're in a position of, um, you know, I would say big influence in, 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 a, in a much bigger organization where you're doing some extremely cool stuff and you got a lot of things really, really right uh, with how you're building your, your team. Um, so, you know, it's the same question is like, you know, 
that one day when there's a mess up, you know, it's like something leaked. Yeah. Someone, you know, from a corporate perspective is going to say, oh, you know what? We probably need a process here now. And yeah. You need to tackle that. You know, I mean, how, 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 what's your, what's your, what's your game plan for that? You know, it's, it's such a good question. I, you know, and I even go back to Kevin, like Double Fine's been around for years, right? And they, they have that culture and it, and it hasn't happened. So, I mean, maybe it's happened a long time ago. I don't know, but it, it seems like you've been able to maintain that. And so, you know, I kind of look at studios like that and, and model some things after that and go, okay, well, if you're doing it, what are you doing differently? I think for us too, it's in our interview process. You know, we, we talk about it quite openly. Um, we talk about our highly collaborative nature and that might be different for people. We ask people if that's what they want. Um, we talk about a lot of inclusion and culture ad in our interviews. Um, so people got to know what they're getting into, I think, before they come and know that there is things going to be shared that they may not be used to. Um, but I think it actually comes back to, I think what sparked even this podcast, what we were talking about at DICE was just that really high accountability because you can't have high empowerment teams without accountability. That's just chaos and, and not good for anyone. Um, it might feel good to some individuals, but it, it's not going to get you anywhere. And it and it's going to be, um, you're going to have those things because there isn't high trust. And then people are kind of going to be in a bunch of different directions. So, you know, I you've got to create that accountability from day one. And that, I think, comes through the interview process. It comes through onboarding. It comes through that person's relationship with their manager to make sure those one-on-ones are happening. And it's really a valuable, honest conversation between two people so that there is no desire. Like you said, the, this like maybe an angry employee is like, I'm going to share these things because I, I'm going to screw timber. I'm going to screw double fine. And I love what you said, Kevin, is that maybe it'll happen by accident and that it's not malicious. And so then it's education. And it's going, okay, maybe we now need some training around your behavior on social media because someone messed up. Um, I once accidentally leaked something from Gears on Twitter because I took a photo of a coworker. We were working overtime. We were joking around. It was kind of a funny photo. I posted it. Someone in our community immediately messaged me and said, oh my God, you have a photo of every enemy in Gears 5 in your background. And you've now just told Twitter all the new enemies in Gears 5. <laughs> I was the production director of the campaign, right? It was just a mistake, but I immediately deleted it. No one saw it, but um, we actually leaked our DLC in our accessibility video that Xbox produced. It was on someone's screen in the video. And so accidents are going to happen. And I guess that also comes to something I think we talked about too, we've talked about a little, is that you're going to make mistakes and you're going to fail sometimes. But yeah, please don't create a bazillion policies that is almost like jail for developers where you're constantly bumping up against a policy and you, and you can't change things or move forward. Uh, and there's something I say to everybody at Timber. I said this to two people yesterday. It's like, if you're coming up with something or in a way of working and you need to stop and say to yourself, is this Timber? And is this how Timber would do things? And if your answer is, I actually don't think so. I think it's how I would have done it in the past or how this other organization would have done it take a moment and take a pause and maybe flip it on its head a little bit and go, what's the new version of this? What's the 2023 version of this? And, and take a little longer with it and be willing to disrupt yourself a little bit um, and try something different. Cool. Uh, try something different. I think that's a great segue to, you know, moving into, you know, part, uh, part two here. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. If you did, you know what to do. Share it in your social media, 
so more people can take part and learn. And one more thing, check out Favro Academy on favro.com for many more learnings. Thanks for tuning in.